Well, hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I really am incredibly grateful to have you with us. I do want to say welcome to all of you. Student section, can I hear from you? you? Listen, next time I do this, like, I just need a little something more, okay? I just gave you, gave you guys an opportunity. All right, we'll talk later. Hey, I do want to welcome uh, all you guys in here. I also want to say welcome to those of you watching online today. We really are grateful that you're joining this conversation. But a special shout out to our guests today. We met several new people walking in here. Thanks for being here. Don't know how you heard about us, but thanks for accepting the invitation and coming and checking us out and being a part of this conversation today. Well, let me do this. I want to, I want to talk about the weather in Colorado really quick. Is that okay? Can we do this? Uh, I've lived in Colorado for about two and a half years now. And I used to live in Arizona, also used to live in Kentucky. And so when I'm like talking to family members and friends from back in those states, I do my best to try to explain to them the weather patterns here. And the best that I can come is it's bipolar. And so this past week, uh, I saw a video that I think actually describes the weather patterns in Colorado really well. So I want you to watch this. Can I get an amen? I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, let, let me do this. Before we get into our teaching time today, we will continue in our Prayers of Jesus series today. Um, but let me do this. I want to celebrate some things with you guys. I think it's important for you to know some of the things that have happened behind the scenes. And so I just want to take a moment and celebrate some things with you guys, beginning with uh, the email that I sent out a couple weeks ago. And many of you know, probably not, if not all of you, uh, the tragedy that happened in our community when the officers were shot and one one officer even lost his life. And so I sent in an email, and we even mentioned it from stage on Sunday morning. Hey, let's, uh, let's actually live out what we say we want to be about, which is we're, we're going to extend hope when life hurts. And so one of the small, tangible ways we thought we could do that is by giving these families some gift cards to go out to restaurants once everybody started maybe to forget about what had happened, and they have a big pool of gift cards to choose from, get them out of the house. And so you guys partnered with, with us, and last week we took 66 gift cards to the families. And so I just want to say thank you. Yeah, we can applaud that. <clears throat> I think next time we could even do better. But one of the things that uh, I want to celebrate, because I thought this was just kind of the coolest part of this story, was there was a gentleman, or is a gentleman, who is a part of Trace who's serving in Afghanistan right now. And uh, he sent me an email and said, hey, I'm actually, I want to participate. So from Afghanistan, he sent us five gift cards, shipped them to us so that he could be a part of this. So what was your excuse, right? You know, not trying to make you feel guilty, but can we just give it up for him? I mean, that is incredible to be a part of that. And then uh, last week, something really neat happened. And again, I just want to share it with you. Um, I think people are starting to pay attention to what's happening here, and it's really cool what, what God is doing, and we keep calling it an unrealistic story. And so last week, we had a gal from one of the local Catholic churches in town come over here to learn from our children's director, Daisha Willingham. And if you don't know this, we have the best children's director in the world. And so I really do believe that. Uh, I don't know, you know, for the parents in the room, if you look at her emails, but I promise you, she loves 
your kids and she wants your family to win. And so you should read the email she sends out because she spends a lot of time on them and she is very articulate and just has a passion for your kids learning more about who Jesus is. And so a gal from the Catholic Church came over here and said, I just want to learn from some of the things you're doing so I can take it back to our church and implement some of those things uh, in our church so that they can learn more about Jesus too. So I thought that was really cool. And then last week, if you get our emails, if you don't, you can always go to guest services, fill out some information. That way you stay up to date on the emails we send out. But this last week, I sent an email and said, hey, we got a big announcement for you guys this Sunday. And so I want to share that with you right now. Um, about three months ago, we started to notice that we were going to run out of children's space here really quick uh, based on the growth patterns that are happening here. And so I reached out to the owners of this building and said, hey, uh, what would you guys be willing to do with the 4,500 square feet that's adjacent on the other side of the children's space that currently exists right now? And so they said, hey, we'll kind of talk about this. And just so you know, we have a great relationship with the owners here. Uh, we have a great relationship with our neighbors, the other tenants. If you were with us last summer, we did a huge service project on the back end of this building down where the paths are. We did a huge cleanup project. And so we just got a great relationship with them. And so two weeks ago, I get a phone call from the owners and they said, hey, we want to give you that 4,500 extra square feet. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Uh, especially if you know anything about commercial real estate. And so we kind of ran the numbers, and if we were to have paid for that, that space, as much as we're paying per square footage of the space we already have, it would have been an extra four to 5000 more a month. And we cannot pay that unless I fired Corey. And so we're in, <laughs> which we're never going to do because he's awesome. Um, so I just want to take a moment. If, like, we're talking about prayer, can we just pray and thank the Lord together really quick? Can we do that? God, thank you for the unrealistic story that you continue to tell in and through this space. Father, you are creator of all things and you know what's best for us. You know what's best for this church. And so just help us, show us what it looks like to be faithful with all the ways in which you're coming alongside of us to reveal your kingdom more. And so just all of us together say thank you. Everybody said. Amen, amen. All right, guys, well, let's, uh, let's jump into our subject today. Here's how I wanna begin. For as long as I can remember, prayer has come easy to me. Ever since I was a little kid, I just always prayed, always talked with God. And even up and through my teenage and what I call heathen years, um, when I was making really bad mistakes, really stupid decisions, I would pray. And I remember going to bed at night sometimes, um, drunk out of my mind. And I would lay down and I would say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, will you get me to where you want me to be? And unfortunately for me, that took my second visit to jail with my second DUI before I finally opened up my eyes. But I always just, prayer was just something that came natural to me. Now, the longer I've been in ministry and the more conversations that I have, I've learned that that's not the case for everybody. There's many of you in here that may identify with this, where you've been in church your whole life, but for whatever reason, prayer is just not one of those things that you seem can, you can get your arms around. You can't really process, like, how does this look? Like, I believe in God. It's not a lack of belief. I just don't know how I can talk with him, or I don't know what that's supposed to look like and how that's supposed to work, and so that's been a struggle. Now, you add to that all of the confusion that comes with different churches' teachings, different denominations and what they may have said about what prayer is or isn't. And then you bring that to the table. And now we have a subject that really should be a lot more simple than we make it. And now it's a subject of confusion and at times even contention. And so maybe for you, you know, maybe you grew up uh, and you were in the Catholic church and you learned how to pray rote prayers and memorize prayers. Maybe you learned how to, you know, Hail Marys and Our Fathers. And maybe you learned 
uh, how to ask different saints to pray for you. Or maybe you grew up in the Baptist church and you were taught, hey, you need to pray this specific prayer of salvation if you want to be saved. Maybe you grew up in the Pentecostal church and they taught you how to pray in tongues. Maybe you grew up heathen like me and you learned the negotiation prayer. God, if you get me out of this, (laughs) I won't do it again. As you can see, I mean, there's just so much in the pile here of when it comes to prayer. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at what Jesus says. By no means am I going to be able to offer an exhaustive sermon on this subject, or nor, nor do we even have all the answers. But anytime there's a subject of confusion or contention when it comes to a spiritual matter, if not all things, we need to start with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do today. And by doing that, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up or turn them on. If you have an app, make your way to Matthew chapter 6. And one of the things that we're going to notice is Jesus will be in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you want to read this sermon, I would encourage you to do it if you've never read it before, for those of you that maybe are new to the Bible. Uh, I would encourage you to read Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And this is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus like unfolds some of the, the most practical teachings on the Christian faith possible, where it's like, if you want to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount. But then we land in chapter 6, which is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and we see Jesus change his tone. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, he's telling us a lot of the things that he wants us to do, but then we land in Matthew chapter 6, and he keeps coming back to these two words, do not. Don't, don't do this. And this also goes to the subject of prayer and what he has to say on the subject, different things that he, he says, man, when it comes to prayer, don't do that. And ultimately what I think Jesus wants us to do before we pursue any type of spiritual matter or any type of spiritual practice, I should say, is that we should test our motives. And so we should always ask ourselves this question, which is what I want us to do this morning. When it comes to prayer, like, what is, what is our motive? And then the one thing that we're going to come back to today several times is this statement right here. God doesn't care as much about what you say as he does the sincerity in which you say it. Now, I want to be clear, that's very intentional here, as much, because I do think God cares about what we say. I just don't think he cares as much about what you say as he does the sincerity in which you say it. And so we want to look at this together this morning. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray. So automatically it's insinuated that this is going to be something that should be a part of our faith journey. Prayer should be a natural part of what's taking place. So when, not if, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now I want you to pay attention to that word. It's going to come up a few times this morning. We'll come back to it towards the end of our teaching, but reward. So there, is, it, there must be some type of reward that comes with prayer. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to pray for recognition, if you want to pray and make a spectacle out of it, if you want to pray as if it's a performance, you'll get your reward. People will look at you and they'll say, man, look how spiritual he is or she is. Maybe you grew up in some of these environments. I've been in prayer circles like this. Probably been guilty of it myself a few times. Where we try to make a spectacle out of prayer, wanting recognition for how spiritual we are. Now remember, Jesus is in a context here where he's been observing a lot of the religious leaders of the day, what we would call spiritual superstars. And he's noticing, man, these prayers that I'm observing aren't so much about God as they are about recognition to themselves, about drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to prayer, don't do that. 
because it's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about drawing attention from you to God. Let's pick up in in verse 6. But when you pray, so he says it again, but when, not if, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, what, reward you. There's that word again. We'll come back to that. So what is God saying here? Or what's Jesus saying here? He says, when you pray in secret to an unseen God, he sees you. Another way to say that is, when you pray with a pure motive, not to be recognized, God recognizes you. There's something about the, mo- the pure motive that brings power into the prayer. And so as we approach this, as we should with every subject of spiritual significance, we need to test our motives. Because it's not about others seeing and observing what we're doing or what we're saying. It's about allowing God to see us in a sincere moment of wanting to speak with him. And when you do that in secret, God sees you. Now, does this mean, we've got to be careful here, because this is where we have a tendency to legalize this or over-spiritualize this. Does this mean we should never pray with other people? Well, we've already broken that rule, haven't we, if that was the case? No, not at all. But what, God, what Jesus is saying is, like, listen, sometimes it's hard to not worry too much about what other people are thinking when you're praying. Have you been there? You've been, like, you're praying, it's like, man, does this sound stupid? <laughs> like, am I, do I even sound like I'm talking to God right now? And so I think Jesus is saying, listen, sometimes it's good just to get alone, get away. It doesn't have to be in a room. Don't over-spiritualize this. It can be in your car. It can be in a barn. It can be uh, out in nature just by yourself because something happens in secret when you're not worried about what other people are thinking. Power begins to come into that, that equation with us. And so get away and stop worrying about what other people are thinking about when you're saying and just spend some time with God. There's something significant about that and to be taken away from it. Again, don't over-spiritualize it because, uh, of course, he wants us to pray with each other too. We see that in other parts of Scripture. Pick up in verse 7. So when you pray, says it again, third time, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Let's have a moment of confession here. About 15 years ago, I started getting really on fire in my faith, and for the first time, really taking ownership of my faith in Jesus. And I wanted more. I wanted as much as God had to offer, and really at that point made that transition, made a transformation, I should say, in my life and the way that I was living. And I remember putting myself in a lot of spiritual environments, and because of those spiritual environments, I found myself in a lot of prayer circles. And so I remember just, you know, praying with people that I really looked up to, and I thought were, you know, so much. Uh, further along in their faith than I was and wanted to learn from them. And I'd be praying with these people and I'd kind of be taking mental notes of things they would say. And I, were just, I remember the first time this one guy said, and God, we pray a hedge of protection. I'm like, man, that sounds good. I got to write that down here. Make sure next time I pray hedge of protection. All right, God, and we pray for Jehovah Jireh that you would provide. I'm like, oh yeah, use other names of God. That's good. That sounds really good. Spirit. And I don't know, maybe you've done this, but I did that. And here's where I want to be careful. I sh- I'm not saying you shouldn't say those things, but what's your motive? I'm not saying you shouldn't use all the names of God, because if that helps you to connect with God, absolutely. I'm not saying you shouldn't say, you know, pray a hedge of protection around you, but what's your motive? Are you wanting others to think that you sound smart? Maybe you're more spiritual than you are, or are you really just trying to connect with the unseen God so he can see you? Test our motives. And again, uh, careful not to be judgmental here, but 
here we're kind of watching Jesus bash the religious leaders of the day. And if I can just be transparent with you, like just forgive me about what I'm about to say. Sometimes I'm watching TV and I'll see kind of these TV evangelists and I notice that, I mean, it's like, are they performing? You know, God, we want you to come into this space and God with Jehovah, the Elohim, and God is with us. And I love how Michael Jr. says this. He goes, the preacher I grew up with always sounded like he needed spit. And ah, I gotta, gotta get it. And it's like, that's, that's the best way I gotta explain it. So <laughs> now listen to me. If they're sincere, then shame on me. Shame on me. I just wonder if they are. Because what God's not doing is he's not up there saying, holy cow, listen to those words. I'm taking note. This guy knows what he's talking about. Because instead, I think God's up there saying, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. You know, sometimes maybe there's certain settings that help you to pray. Maybe you, you like lighting a candle or burning some incense or whatever. And if that helps you connect with God, then do it. But I promise you, God's not saying, Jesus, get over here, get over here. I got incense down here, man. This is a good one. God's not impressed with your many words or my many words. God's not impressed with our big words. He's impressed with your heart and your sincerity and your motive. I want to make sure we take that away today. Let's pick up in verse 8. He says, do not be like them. Who's them? It's the pagans who are babbling on. Do not be like them. Don't do that. For your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So let's ask a real question this morning. Then why in the world do we need to pray? If God already knows what I need, and I believe that, I believe God's completely sovereign, I believe he's all-knowing, he knows exactly what you're going to say before you even ask it. <laughs> Man, if I can't move God in my direction for the things that I'm wanting and hoping for, then why even pray? The best way that I know how to explain this, and it's not going to give you like complete clarity on the subject, is I call these divine dichotomies. And there's a few of these in the, in the scriptures. And the way that I would explain what a divine dichotomy is, is this. It's two apparently, key word, don't miss that, two apparently contradictory truths of God existing simultaneously in the same space. Now, why do I say prayer is a divine dichotomy? Because here, it sounds as if Jesus is telling us, God already knows what you need, so don't worry about using a bunch of words to convince him. But in other places in scripture, we see things like the persistent widow. It's a parable in Luke chapter 18, verse one through eight. You can go back to that later if you wanna read it, where we see this widow come back to the judge over and over and over again until she convinces him to do what she wants. And then we see James chapter four, where James says, you have not because you ask not, or you're asking with the wrong motives. And then in 1 Peter 3, 7, we see that how we treat our wives, husbands, listen up, how we treat our wives could hinder our prayer lives, meaning there's a way for our prayers to be more effective. So how can God already know what we need, but something about our prayer lives actually move God to do certain things? I call it a divine dichotomy. And I'm okay to tell you, I don't completely get it. I would put predestination and the elect or free choice in the same subject. I believe the two coexist together and they're a divine dichotomy. And as soon as we think we're supposed to have it all figured out, or if you, let me say this differently. If you ever talk to somebody in my position who acts like they have it all figured out, I wouldn't listen to them. I think that there's health in saying, you know what, God, I don't completely get this, 
but I, I hear what you tell me to do, and so I'm going to live in that dichotomy because I'm going to pray as if I can change your mind. But is that even possible? Because you already know. So hopefully you'll be okay living in that tension too. I am. Let's pick up in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Can we just pause for a second? Because Jesus never teaches on the subject of prayer except what he's about to do. Now, last week, Corey talked to us about John chapter 17, did an incredible job teaching through that passage, but that was actually Jesus praying. We're here, Jesus says, okay, guys, let's take a time out. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to give you a framework, meaning there's an actual effective way to pray. And so I want to show you what that looks like. And so here is the moment for us to lean in because Jesus, our leader, our Lord, is going to give us some instruction on how to pray. And so my hope is that you're leaning in with me this morning because I think there's a takeaway for each and every one of us. Here's how he begins. Our Father. And and let let me back up to what he says. He says how you should pray. He doesn't say, hey, this is what you should pray. He said this is how you should pray. Now, does that mean we shouldn't say this prayer? Many of us grew up, you know, saying the prayer. If you played in any kind of athletics, a lot of times you would say the Lord's Prayer. If you mean what you're saying, there's nothing wrong with a memorized prayer. So all, all my Catholic friends in here, it's like I'm not, there's no intent on mine to like bash, wrote, or memorize prayers. But if you're not thinking through what you're actually saying, I'm not sure that prayer is very effective. And so as long as you know what you're saying and you mean what you're saying, yes, it's okay to have a memorized prayer. But here's what he says, because again, he doesn't say this is what you should say, this, this is how, or this is what you should pray, this is how you should pray. It's a framework to work from. So let's look and see what some of these themes are. Here's how we begin. Our Father, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I'll be the first to admit I never use the word hallowed in any sentences that I use throughout the day. So this is not how I would pray. So what, what is Jesus saying here? Pause, pause, and remember who you're talking to. I've been guilty at times, especially in the past, where I would begin Again, a lot of prayers in my life where it's like, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, and just boom, 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 boom. And I'm learning not to do that. Pause. Father, in heaven, your creator, you know all things, and for whatever reason, you still listen to me right now. Pause. Remember who God is. Let's begin there. And then he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, friends, the purpose of our life is what Jesus is kind of uh, re-emphasizing here, that there's a purpose God has for you. And so during this part part of a prayer, you should be reminded of a bigger purpose. It's not about building your kingdom. It's about building God's kingdom. In other words, we're not supposed to impose our will on God. We're supposed to surrender our will to God. And so can I just ask like a practical question? How many times do you wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I influence your kingdom today? How can you use me today to bring a little bit more of your kingdom to earth? And if the best, most practical way I think that we can do that is representing the life, the love, and the light of Jesus in a very dark world. And we get to read about his life in the pages of the gospel. And so we can learn very practically on what that looks like. And Jesus is saying, yeah, It's God's kingdom we're trying to bring to earth. And by doing that, we can start to push out some of the darkness. But too many of us, including myself, wake up in the mornings thinking, how can I build my kingdom today? 
What can I do to serve myself today? And Jesus says, listen, pause. Remember who you're talking to. And then remember your purpose. This is about God's kingdom, not your own. Tim Keller made a statement that really stuck with me, and I hate it, but I'm going to share it with you. He says, are you okay if God says no in your prayer life? Because he may have something better, but for you, it might be worse. Like, that's, Tim, why did you have to say that, man? I mean, I don't know if you know who Tim Keller is, a very well-known, popular author. He's pastors of church in New York. Many pastors, including myself, look up to him. He's a pastor of pastors. And I read that statement, I'm like, it's, it's so true. It's so true. It doesn't mean God wants bad things to happen to you. And I don't know if that's discouraging. You can go home today and, and tweet that. Yeah, the pastor said, if I pray, God will say no, and then my life will be worse. It's great. Like, great takeaway at church today. Just understand, guys, this is not about our kingdom. It's about his. And sometimes in order for his kingdom to come to earth, our kingdom may have to diminish a little bit. Can that be painful at times? Sure. But what's our purpose? Is it our kingdom or is it his? Jesus says it's his. Verse 11. Give us today, give us today our daily bread. There's a lot I can say on this subject. I want to spend some time here. Later down in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about not worrying. And he reemphasizes this idea of like, give us today. Just focus on today. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Just be faithful today. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then everything else will kind of fall into place. And so we kind of see Jesus saying that a little bit here. And he's reminding us that, yes, there's a, it's okay to ask for things, but what he's encouraging us to ask for are things that we need. God, just give us today. I'm not going to look too far into the future. Just give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need. For those of you in here that have some friends that maybe aren't believers, maybe you're in here today and you're not believing, and you're asking questions, I'm incredibly grateful that you're here and you're a part of, that, part of this conversation today. But for some people... Um, they really take issue with a loving God because there's so much suffering around the world. How could there be a loving God when there's so many kids dying of starvation, simple things that aren't being provided for them? Give us today our daily bread. Let me ask you a question. If God gives us two loaves of bread and a kid in Guatemala doesn't receive any, is it a matter of God providing or is it a matter of distribution? Let's think about it. Every single person in this room, I can almost say this with certainty, because you're an American and because you're here, if you look at the statistics of around the world of global incomes, you are in the top 5% of the richest people in the entire world. Now you may think, oh man, Aaron, you don't know my current situation. I can still almost guarantee you, you're in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. Give us today our daily bread. Many of us have a lot more than what we need. And by no means have I been the best example to set forth on what this actually looks like, but Emily and I are constantly trying to grow in generosity. But let me share something with you. In the Bible, it talks about this idea of a tithe. And some of you may be thinking, oh man, here it goes. Here goes the pastor talking about money. Oh gosh, I'm getting ready to fall. <laughs> Just stick with me, okay? The Bible talks about this idea of a tithe, which means 10%. That's what the tithe means. It literally means 10%. It says, hey, bring a tithe 
to the church. Bring a tithe to the storehouse. Bring a tithe so that others' needs can be taken care of. Bring 10%. Now, everything you have already belongs to God. So God's just saying, bring 10% of what I've given you back to me because it's going to help you not to hold on to monetary things too tightly because you're going to want to worship money sometimes in, in place of me. And so a big part of that is get, getting rid of it, handing it over. But a survey was done, and if every, pro, listen to this, if every proclaiming Christian were to tithe 10%, every proclaiming Christian were to tithe 10%, world hunger could be conquered in 90 days. It's not a matter of whether or not God's plan would work. It's a matter of us distributing what he's given us in abundance. I still need to be taught this. And so I don't know if that means you need to wrestle with the Lord on whether you want to start giving here or other, some other kind of kingdom endeavor. But just know when your friends argue about not believing in a living God because they don't see him providing, that's on us. That's on us. Let's pick up in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, for those of you that are interested in going a little bit deeper in Bible study, let me take a moment here really quick. I'm going to come back to that passage, but some of you may be waiting for that last little part of the prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But uh, that was not actually in the original transcripts, manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts. So if you go buy a new like NIV Bible today, that won't even be in there. Now, I don't know if that messes with you at all. If it does, we can talk later. Uh, but for our purposes today, we're not going to look at that because it wasn't in the original manuscripts. Typically, if something it wasn't in the original manuscripts, I still look at it, but I treat it with kids' gloves. And so for today, we're just going to leave that part out. And so Jesus is actually ending his prayer on this statement. And forgive us our debts, reminding us of the importance of forgiveness. As we have also forgiven our debtors to go hand in hand. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Two years ago, Gallup did a poll asking if people still believed in God and the devil. 89% of America said that they still believe in God. 60% said they believe in an evil being, or Satan, or the devil, whatever you want to call him. Why is that significant? Don't miss this statement, please. When we don't realize that we need to be protected from evil, it's a lot easier to be enticed by it. Can you let that sink in? Let me share it one more time. When we don't realize that we need to be protected from evil, it's a lot easier to be enticed by it. Friends, we have an enemy. And Jesus is saying in this small, I mean, this is a small framework of what prayer should look like in our life. Again, don't be legalistic about it. He's just giving us some major themes. One of the themes is leading us away from temptation. There should be something happening in our life that wants to get sick and tired of sin. I'm not even sure that we should be praying if we plan to sin. I think God is saying, listen, when you're sick and tired of sinning and you want to get away from it and you want to get away from the enticement of temptation, then come to me and ask me for help. And be reminded that there is an evil one who's trying to trip you up and make a mess of your life. And so when you pray, maybe say something about that so that you can remember that there is an adversary against everything that God wants to accomplish in your life. It's a really big deal. So if we were to go back and sum up 
what we see Jesus kind of build for us as far as a framework of prayer. We could maybe sum it up in this way, and I'll do this through alliteration with a bunch of P words. First, pause. Actually, hold that there, Lauren. Let me, first, don't pray for recognition. It's not a spectacle. It's not a performance. It's not about you. It's not even necessarily about God moving in your direction as much as it is about you moving in God's direction. And so don't make this about you. And don't make this about receiving recognition that you're some spiritual superstar because you know a lot of big words. Don't feel like that you're going to convince God by praying a certain way or say certain things or lighting candles or whatever that looks like. He's not, he's not entertained. He's not impressed by our many words. He's impressed by our heart and our pure motives. So then when we actually get to the Lord's Prayer, pause. Just pause. Aren't our lives chaotic enough? Just pause and remember who you're talking to. Acknowledge who you're talking to. Next one would be a purpose. Remember the purpose that God has given you. The purpose to build his kingdom and not just to live your life building your own kingdom. Next one. Promotion. He promotes, Jesus promotes this idea of forgiveness. This is something you don't ever want to forget, Jesus says. So make sure to be reminded that God has forgiven you and God forgive us as we have forgiven others. The two have to go hand in hand. We're going to look at that more here in just a second. Last one, protection. God, lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from our adversary, the enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever name you want to give him. Father, protect us. And if we do this, here's that reward. Remember that thing? He kept saying there was a reward that comes with prayer. I think this is it. Peace. No, I don't know if you were wanting a Mercedes Benz, or I don't know if you were wanting, like, a, like, what were you hoping for? But more often than you probably think, this is the best reward you could ever be given. That tension you're feeling in your marriage right now, all you want is peace. That tension you're feeling in parenting that one child, maybe a wayward child, there's a lot of contention there, whatever, all you're really looking for is peace. That mental illness that you're battling, that addiction that you're battling, all you're really looking for is peace. And so when it comes to the best reward God could give you, guys, this is it. Peace. Anybody need some peace in their life? Jesus says, listen, if you'll, if you'll kind of follow this framework, you don't have to be legalistic about it, don't over-spiritualize it, but if you'll follow this framework, remember these themes within your prayer life, and you can make them sound however they come out of your mouth you'll receive peace. Now, here's what I want to do to close our time together. I'm going to make a somewhat of a hard transition here. And I want to look at the very next passage that Jesus talks about. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you've likely heard this passage. But what we've done that's probably been um, a disadvantage to the church in, in biblical teaching is that some, sometimes we separate these two. And so we'll talk about this next passage that I'm getting ready to explain without associating it with the Lord's Prayer. And they're completely tied together because what happens is Jesus gives the framework of the Lord's Prayer and then he says, okay, so you got the framework, but hold on because I want to come back to one of the things that I just told you. And this is what he comes back to, verse 14. For if you forgive, oh, the subject of forgiveness, that's what he's coming back to. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, why did you have to say that? I struggle with this. 
That's a tough one. If you've had a lot of awful things happen in your life, you get it. This is a tough one. But God's up there and Jesus is reminding us, you did not deserve my forgiveness. Grace means the unmerited favor of God. That's what I gave you. You didn't do anything. There's no merit on your own to receive it. But I gave it to you. If you put your faith in my son Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, you receive my forgiveness. But it goes hand in hand with you forgiving others. So here's what I want to do to close our time today. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? More importantly, have you, have you received the forgiveness of Jesus? If you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, that is always your next step. We believe everything begins with him and one day it will end with him. And so you don't have to do anything to earn that forgiveness. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and what he accomplished for you on the cross by dying for your sins and you receive the unmerited favor of God. It's called his grace and you will be forgiven. If you've never done that, I'd love for you to fill out a prayer card today. Let us know you want to make that step. Come find me or Corey. Man, we would be so honored to talk to you about that step. But for the rest of us who've made that decision, Corey's getting ready to come up here and lead us through a response time. And when he does, I just want you to process through that. Maybe everything that's been said this morning, maybe there's a specific action step that you feel you need to make in your own prayer life. And so I encourage you to do that. But don't leave here without wrestling with God about this subject of forgiveness because it's the only thing, the only subject Jesus points back to in this framework of prayer. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And I want to do my best to pray with sincerity and pure motives right now on what Jesus just taught us. And I want to encourage you to find your own words, but maybe to continue to use this framework. And so I'm going to pray for us, and Corey's going to come up and lead us through a time of response. <sighs> Father, the fact that we can actually say that word, I think still baffles us. You are Father. You are creator of all things. You are omniscient, omnipresent. Father, you know exactly what we need before we even ask it. It's crazy. But, but yet you still tell us to pray and that somehow, some way, our prayers kind of move things. Continue to teach us what it looks like to pray. Help us all to see an action step. Father, continue to remind us that this is not about building our kingdom. All of us need to be taught this. So we're, we're all so caught up in our own lives. So God, would you move us out of that and help us to continue to put our eyes back on you? And if we will simply just reflect your son, we can remove some of the darkness in this world. Father, continue to teach us on forgiveness. And I know that's all of us probably have wrestled with this at times if we're not currently wrestling with it and just continue to show us that we have an adversary that wants to mess up our life, and so we need deliverance from him. We need your strength to overcome temptation. And so, God, we invite you into this moment to help us to see what is our next step. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.